Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello, we are back for yet another episode of the podcast. I'm joined by Sarah. Hey, Geeks. Uh, unfortunately, Barry could not be here again this week, slacking off once more. But uh, Totally. Yeah, um, but uh, hopefully he'll be back next week, and I think he probably will, which is exciting because we've got Ready Player One coming out in just, a, what, a couple of days, a day, and it looks pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't really, like, I bought the book on audio. I still have to listen to it. I probably will tomorrow. But uh, I have no idea what it's about specifically, just vaguely, and I'm really hyped about it. It looks pretty darn cool. Yeah, the book is great. It really is. In fact, depending on my schedule tomorrow, I, I may try to knock out a book review for the podcast. So uh, maybe look forward to that. I'm not making any guarantees. I'm just saying. But I, I will get out a review of the book at some point very soon. It may or may not be tomorrow. Uh, it could be tomorrow. It could be Friday. Not really sure. But I'll try to get one out. Uh, but it's exciting stuff. And uh, But as exciting as that is, we, of course, are here to talk about a movie. And as you can <laughs> tell by the title, it is Captain America, the First Avenger. Yeah. And... Uh... I had always thought I'd seen all the Captain America movies. I'd seen Civil War and um, uh, Winter Soldier, but apparently I never got around to this one, and it's the actual first one. So this is the first time go around for me, and I actually quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a really uh, interesting movie to to watch and see Captain America back before he was Captain America, you know, back when he was just Steve Rogers some scrawny, scrawny kid, thing. you know, young guy who just wants to join the war and do his part. And, uh, no, he can't. He's got a, a ton of physical ailments. A whole ton. Yeah. A I mean, list. The, the list is, the list is kind of ridiculous actually. And, and we'll get down to the, get to the rundown here in a minute, but I just want, I can't help it. I want to, I want to read this list. Um, so summary of patient health issues. It is asthma, scarlet fever, rheumatic fever, epilepsy, sinitis, uh, chronic or frequent colds, high blood pressure, palpitations or pounding in heart, easy fatigability, heart trouble, nervous trouble of any sort, has had household contact with tuberculosis patient, parent slash sibling, 
with diabetes, cancer, stroke, or question mark. So I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> the question mark, I'm assuming it just means he's been in contact with pretty much anybody that's had any kind of serious condition. The fact that he can walk is like a miracle, apparently. I guess so. Holy so crap. Anyway, yeah, pretty crazy stuff. Anyway, but the point is, uh, it's a movie where we have Steve Rogers just wanting to do his part you know, in the war. He wants to go where he wants to fight, and it's just uh, an impossibility. But we'll get to more about what the movie's about in our thoughts. Uh, my thoughts, uh, and my, well, I'll put it this way. My first contact with this movie was when it came out in theaters. So I went, I watched it, and my friends and I, we had a really interesting and fun discussion post-watching of our thoughts and our opinions and how we thought it stacked up so far with some of the other Marvel movies like Iron Man and uh, I, I think Thor had come out at that point, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, probably should check on that, but I think I think Thor had already come out. And... Yeah, you know, so we had a good debate there in terms of the movie and the quality and the things they did right and the things they did wrong, and uh, it was a good, it's a good time. But I really uh, enjoy Captain America. It's not a perfect movie. There are some things about it that I think could have been improved upon, but there's more right, far more right, actually, with the movie than there is wrong with the movie. Yeah, for sure. They did a lot of really good things in this movie. There's certainly some some hiccups we'll need to talk about, but on the whole, I think it's a pretty solid Marvel movie. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the rundown. So it was released on July 22nd, 2011. It was written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, directed by Joe Johnston, with a runtime of two hours and four minutes. A budget of $140 million, box office, $176.6 million domestic, $193.9 million foreign, with a total of $370.5 million total gross. And it stars Chris Evans, Tommy Lee Jones, Hugo Weaving, Haley Outwell, Stanley Tucci, Sebastian Stan, Neil McDonough, Dominic Cooper, and Derek Luke. So, and Richard Armitage. And I'm sorry, Richard Armitage. I didn't put him in there, but uh, considering that he is a much bigger star now, and he was on Hannibal, which of course, you know, puts him in a, a special place in our hearts. Um, yeah. So he had a small bit in this movie uh, before he had, you know, been in the Hobbit movies and you know become a much uh, bigger name than he uh, he was then. Uh, all right, let's get to our. One sentence review. Uh, for me, it's a solid, pulpy throwback style movie that manages to define Steve Rogers both as a human being and as a superhero in a satisfying way. Very accurate. Um, my sentence movie is an interesting jumping off point that has a certain style that doesn't quite match today's Marvel movies, but that's what make this makes this movie kind of work in its favor. Uh, so that's what. I think this movie is pretty interesting for itself. Compared to like Marvel movies today, it's definitely not the same. No, it's not. And you're right. Because what we have to look at is this is a period piece. Yeah. Right. So it's a, it's a 1940s style movie. And I think that Joe Johnson tries to direct it 
as such. Um, there's a, just a, the stylistic uh, uh, look of this movie as trying to look at similar movies from back in the 1940s and 1950s. And you can't get uh, around the fact that we're, you know, using filming techniques and uh, obviously more advanced cameras and things of that nature today. But at the same time, you can still try and infuse the movie with, you know, uh, longer takes, uh, you know, giving actors the room to kind of have, you know, dialogue scenes where there isn't a whole lot going on, but it just allows us to kind of learn about the characters and we don't have like the the super energetic rushed choppy style of action that you see in a lot of marvel movies today you know it's not the you know super fast cut kind of stuff that you get all the time you know today and i appreciate the movie for doing that i think it gives it its own like you said unique style which separates it from a lot of the other marvel movies that came before it and the ones that have come after, including other Captain America movies, actually. Yeah, and the casting, too, it's really um, a unique ensemble of characters. Like, we know almost everybody involved in this, and they've played certain characters in other movies that are very distinct, and to see this kind of caliber people people working on it, it's it's really adds something to it. Oh, I agree, definitely. I think the casting is great, and... Uh, I really want to talk about, you know, how good some of the the actors are doing here in this movie because you have Chris Evans, and the interesting thing about him as an actor is, you know, he was already in superhero movies before Captain America. He was Johnny Storm yeah. in Fantastic Four movies. Yeah, he was the Torch, right? Yeah, he was Human Torch, and if you go back, I mean, he was a he was a kid. I mean, he was. Yeah. 18 years old probably i mean he was a he was a baby back then and uh it's interesting to see him go from that to this but apparently he was interested in the in the role now initially he said no but robert Downey jr convinced him to say yes Uh, and the big thing for him was he was afraid of how it would affect his life like the fame and everything like how would it affect his life in a negative way but I guess what Robert Downey Jr. said to him was, look, more or less is what he said is this movie or these movies will afford you the ability to make other movies that you really want to make. So that's the trade-off. You know, maybe you get really famous and maybe that hampers some of your the privacy of your life that you'd rather hold on to. But the upside is if a movie comes along and you really want to do it, you're going to be one of the first choices. So you'll get to make some really, really interesting movies or possibly even passion projects that you have uh, and you wouldn't be able to do that, possibly do that otherwise without it. Yeah, that's really true. And I I remember when uh, this first came out and hearing about when Chris Evans got really popular, um, he was quite upset by like the invasion of privacy, um, not being able to you know have his normal life. And he was very, he pushed back really hard on, you know, the fandom and everything like that. He didn't want to have that, didn't want to be a part of it. But over, like, the years, like, he's gotten way better, way more comfortable with meeting people um, and just, you know, comfortable with his fans. And I think that says something about him, too. Like, 
you know, a lot of people took it the wrong way when, you know, he doesn't want to hang out with fans and sign like a ton of autographs, but some people just aren't people, people. <laughs> you just got to understand that. But the fact that he's like evolved and adapted, like that's his love about the dude. Like he actually cares. Well, I don't think, like you said, it's not against the fans really. Exactly. It's about, um, you know, wanting to carve out a certain level of privacy, you know, it, today everybody's in your business, you know, everything's online. Anything that happens, it, it pops up on the internet immediately and everybody knows about it and can read about all of the stories surrounding you as a person that never used to happen, you know, for years. And now the evasion of privacy, just it exists and it envelopes an actor and it's so hard to like maintain privacy as an actor. Uh, I understand it. It doesn't bother me, uh, but I do agree. He learned to adapt, I think, to the fame and kind of, I think, is a happy medium, you know, where he's able to interact with fans and, and kind of enjoy certain aspects of it, you know, the enthusiasm that the fandom brings uh, without letting it destroy him and his life and everything. So I think he's found a way to kind of balance the two. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I okay. can't imagine that it's easy having everyone into your privacy. <laughs> like, I would never be able to handle that. It's understandable. It's not easy. It really isn't. I can't imagine. I mean, I'm, I mean, obviously, I'll never have to, to worry about that, you know, <laughs> in terms of like being an actor and and having that happen. But, you know, it's... The um, casualties are numerous. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, all right. So uh, before we move on to the plot synopsis, we're going to do an ad for Patreon. Do you like podcasts about movies, television shows, books, games, and pop culture? How about sports like football and tennis? Here at Freaking Geeks Media, one of our many goals is to create a variety of podcasts that you can enjoy listening to. From the Freaking Geeks podcast to Hungry for Hannibal, Friday Night Mics, the American Gods podcast, and Stranger Things, we know that giving you an assortment of options is one of the best ways of bringing you back for more. But it does take quite a bit of work and expense on our end to make these podcasts a reality. Patreon gives us the opportunity to make a living doing what we love. However, to do this, we need your help. By donating as little as a dollar a month, you get access to both past and upcoming Patreon-only content, as well as early access to regular episodes before they appear on iTunes. Other tier rewards include monthly Loot Crate giveaways, access to live broadcasts, Freaking Geeks t-shirts, magnets, and much more. We can honestly say that anything given is greatly appreciated. So, consider supporting us by going to www.patreon.com slash freakinggeeks and check out what we have to offer. We think you'll like what you see and hear. Okay, so let's jump into the plot synopsis for this movie. Alright, so in the middle of World War II, Steve Rogers wants nothing more than a fight for his country against the oppressive forces that threaten the world at large. The problem? He's short, skinny, and has a host of supposed deficiencies and medical issues that make him an unacceptable candidate for the armed forces. While Adolf yeah. Hitler, sorry, Go ahead. sorry, while Adolf Hitler may be the, the primary concern for the world, it's Johann Schmidt who poses the biggest threat, also known as Red Skull. 
Along with the scientist, Dr. Arnim Zola, they have been using the power of the Tesseract with plans on unleashing it upon the world. To oppose Smith, the leading scientist, uh, scientist Abraham Erskine picks Rogers and injects him with super soldier serum and blasts him with vita rays. The end result is that Rogers now possesses the requisite abilities to fight both the Nazis and Schmidt's Hydra forces. It takes a while, but eventually Rogers manages to get into the fight and saves a bunch of imprisoned U.S. forces, including his best friend, Bucky Barnes. Together with Bucky and a select crew, they begin an assault on Hydra, and unfortunately, Bucky falls to his death on the way uh, back from a mission. Uh, eventually, Steve learns that Schmidt is going to destroy American cities using the Tesseract. He boards his aircraft and confronts him. Schmidt physically holds the Tesseract and his power burns him up. The Tesseract burns through the ship and falls to the ocean. In an effort not to land the plane and risk the weapons detonating, Steve crashes into the Antarctic. He awakens 70 years later in New York City after having been recently recovered. So there you go. That's generally the plot and uh, the events more or less of the movie yeah and like the touching on the hydra boy they shove that symbolism down your throat <laughs> i mean the first thing that happens in like this movie is that that car rolls up it's got the hydra symbol on it and then you're looking at um uh, hugo weaving's outfit and they zoom in on a lapel pin and right next to the lapel pin is um buttons that are also hydra symbols i'm just like okay we get it they're hydra <laughs> right and we understand <laughs> and i don't think i don't think they ever used the see i i mentioned you know the nazis in my synopsis and the reason i did that is because i know full well that they never really mentioned the nazis in this movie as far as i can remember uh i think they if i'm not mistaken i think they more or less just just talk about hydra uh or the enemy yeah, I think the only time they bring up the Nazis is when uh, Steve's like getting recruited and um, uh, Stanley Tucci's talking to him and asks like, "Do you want to kill Nazis?" And <laughs> that's it. That's the only mention. Right, and obviously what they've done here is they've taken Hydra, and they've more or less supplanted that in terms of the Nazis. I mean, it's kind of like um, you have this parallel thing going on. It, it reminds me to a certain extent of Harry Potter. And it's it's a weird connection, but but hear me out. So, um, if you look at Harry Potter, at the same time that World War Two was going on, and Hitler was dominating Europe, in the in the world of Harry Potter, that's when you have, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, now I can't think of his name. The uh, Grindelwald, uh, the Dark Wizard Grindelwald, had risen up in Europe and was threatening to take over. So it's kind of like this parallel to Hitler and it's kind of the same for this movie. So whereas Hitler is rising up and, and threatening to, to take over Europe and thus, you know, possibly take over the world, you have a similar thing going on with, with Johann Schmidt, also known as Red Skull. So it's kind of like Hitler's doing his thing, but Red Skull's doing his thing and they're kind of mirroring each other really yeah like it's it's the it's the mirrored example of how evil this person is right exactly so red skull is you know obviously in this movie he's kind of representing the real threat 
uh, in a way, you can almost argue that Hitler really isn't even the biggest threat. It's really Schmidt. And, and given the fact that he has the Tesseract, you know, what do you expect? I mean, he has a, a, he has a weapon that, that Hitler would have killed for, you know. Oh, he would have killed with it. And he would have killed with it. You're right. No, no doubt about it. Um, so. um, one thing that bothered me in this movie is Red Skull's makeup. Like, I liked the very beginning where, like, you see a glimpse of him and then they shadow him. Uh, I liked that. It kept some mystery to it. You didn't quite see his face. But when he's just doing his thing out and about and his face is just clear as daylight, and it looks so comical. Hmm. Like, I can't take it seriously. Okay, weird. I, I kind of liked it, weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't really have much of a problem. I actually thought it was actually really good makeup because if if you look at the character itself i mean how how do you do that in a way you know like if you look at his character in the comics and there are some really bad like there's a 1990 i believe it was 1990 captain it's really really bad like really awful uh for like 1990 uh, movie and if you look at the red skull there i mean that is is horrible really really bad but um, I thought this was actually pretty good. I, I liked the, the makeup job. I thought that given what you're trying to do with this character and given that he basically is just like a, a red skull, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I, I don't know how much better they could have made that, really. Yeah, like, I think the makeup is fine, but I think it's it's more the fact that you took away the mystery entirely and you just get to see him for what he is and... It's kind of like, okay, Red Skull's walking around. If they had kept, like, shadows over his face for most of the movie, like, he's in his ship and, you know, the light doesn't cover his face. You just see, like, these white eyes encased around in red that are Mm -hmm. kind of peering through shadows. Like, I think that would just be really effective. The fact that it's just, like, you can see him in the bright daylight. I don't know. It just, there's no fear there. (laughs) No visual fear. Okay. Oh, that I get was it. just me. Yeah, I understand. Um, all right, well, uh, why don't we talk about the things we really liked about this movie, and then we can get more, I think, into the things we disliked. Um, <laughs> so, no, no, it's fine. Uh, let's, but let's start out with the things we did like. So, uh, I, I think one of the really great things is the attention to detail for the time period they have the portraying here the 40s uh there's a lot of wonderful little details from the costumes and the hairstyles of course they do a great job but even like the opening of the movie like the first 15 to 20 minutes right when we we see the young steve especially when he's not been recruited yet um i love what they did there with trying to really recreate recreate that 1940s uh new york really and how much detail they put into that yeah very much so just uh, the architecture too the cars uh, the dialogue everything was very much of that time um i was looking for things that stood out and other than stark's floating car <laughs> i kind of like I just feel like it's 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 Stark. It's Grandpa Stark, and we all know that this is part of the it's, it's universe, not real world. <laughs> I can 
get by with the floating car. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um That was the only part I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're this guy now, huh? <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, so I really like that. I thought they did a great job with that, um, with the kind of the detail they're trying to give. Uh, the the acting, the actors, I think, did a really great job here. Let's uh, talk about Haley Altwell. So for me, she is the MVP of this movie. So as as Peggy Carter, I thought that her character was was just excellent I, I i loved her character i love she was strong i thought that the chemistry that she had with uh chris evans was pretty fantastic uh because i think that was necessary and i i also believe that their relationship was the heart of this movie this this kind of thing that they had going on here do you agree with that or disagree i don't know, i feel bad bragging on her but for me she was the only weak one really? that I didn't like. And it wasn't like I liked that they had, you know, this female character that was in a position of power and she was fighting against guys. I love that. I love that storyline. But the actress, I didn't feel she could hold it. <laughs> I didn't feel chemistry between her and Chris. And I, I just felt her bland. Huh. I didn't like her very much. I thought they... I like how her look was very of the time and her voice was also like very, you know, that kind of style. But other than that, I was just kind of like, mm, okay. I like, I didn't understand the hype about her because I know I came in knowing like, you know, he met her like years later when she's a really old woman and you know still loves her. And I'm like, this is like that love connection. Like, come on. <laughs> I didn't feel it, you know. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I did. I felt it, and I, and I'll tell you one of the reasons. One of, the, I mean, I think that. I think there's a. I mean, personally, I think there's a really good chemistry between her and Chris Evans, and to kind of illustrate that, um, there's the the scene where. Steve comes out of having been injected with the serum, right? So now mm-hmm. he's he. The, it opens up and the steam or whatever kind of releases and it's Chris Evans with his shirt off and he's absolutely ridiculously ripped uh, in that scene. And and every other man in the movie theater, including myself (laughs) took one look at him and thought, yeah, okay. Um, Why do you have to raise the bar so high there, Chris? (laughs) Thanks buddy. Uh, I'm now going to stop going to the gym because I'll never achieve that. Thanks. (laughs) Um, But there's the when he comes out of it and he's kind of a little wobbly and Peggy is standing there and asks him how he feels. She reaches out and she she literally touches his chest. And that wasn't supposed to happen, by the way. Um, and I guess Haley admitted that the reason that she did it was unintentional. It was It was because she was absolutely riveted by Chris's body um, in that moment. Like it was just, it it was Captain America. It was his body and all that stuff. And it was just, so she, she reached out and she literally is like touching his chest. And it was because she just couldn't help herself. Basically is what it comes down to. Um, basically she's doing what every woman watching the movie wants to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 
you know, for me, it was that it was a moment like that. And I remember seeing that in the theater and it wasn't like this big, oh, ha, oh, ha moment for me. But I remember even in the moment thinking, you know, reaching out and touching his chest, like, I mean, I hate to say it, but if they were all alone right now, she'd be attacking yeah, him. <laughs> and, and I think that, I mean, I think that what comes through for me in this movie about their relationship is, first of all, you have to remember the era that we're in. Um, and then you have to look at the characters and, um, oh, I can't think of her name right now. The actress from Game of Thrones is in... I know exactly who you're talking I, about. She was the pretty blonde girl that hit on him. Yes, and kissed him. And, yeah. and that's when Peggy walked around the corner saw it and and fire shot from her eyes and and basically she would have burned that girl into a pile of human bones and ash if she could have but anyway uh i i i like that there i hate to say that there's like this because it doesn't do to say that there's like a stuffiness there but i felt like there was a properness to their relationship in their courtship you know all throughout this movie where you could tell both characters knew what they wanted but it was just going to take a little while to kind of get there and given that Steve is um he's been the skinny little kid all his life he doesn't exactly have a lot of I think uh experience with with the ladies so not at all <laughs> um and we know that we, we he's basically said as much in the movie and with peggy she's you know dating um tony stark's father right so is it his father or is his grandfather i thought it was his father i think it's his father if i'm not mistaken i could be wrong it has to be his grandfather because, say, Tony Stark had a kid with it. Well, not Tony Stark. Uh, that Stark, whatever his name is, um, Howard Stark. He had a kid within 10 years. Uh, Tony Stark would have to be like 60 by the time it came out. Well, I don't I don't think – I think – no, I think he actually is his dad because it might have been – he's pretty young there. That Howard, you know, Howard Stark's only like 25, I think around that point so maybe 20 years maybe he maybe he didn't have you know tony until he was 45 you know which would put it around 1965 which feels around more like what tony actually is about 40 in iron man maybe a little older 42 something like that which would put it in line you know with the the time frame but anyway, but get, getting back to, to Peggy in this, I, I know I'm kind of going on and it's a bit of a tangent here, but I don't know. For me, I think the relationship worked and I think the chemistry was there. I, I thought the performance was good with Haley. Well, but, you know, that's why we have these discussions, because we're not always going to you know agree on the performances or how some things worked or didn't work. But I understand what you're saying, and, and uh, I definitely respect your opinion on it. <laughs> like that's what makes it interesting like we both have different opinions about certain things and sure yeah i like that um anyway okay is there anything you'd like to add or would you like to 
you know, talk about something else that you really enjoyed about this movie. What else I really enjoy? Um, There's a, there's a lot. I think, well, I think Hugo Weaving did a really good job with Red Skull uh, slash, um, you know, Johann Schmidt. Uh, It's, it's Hugo Weaving. The guy's going to give a great performance no matter what. He's going to come in and, and do a good job. And I thought, you know, he did a good job with what he was given. I think that there are issues with Johann Schmidt as a character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to get, I'll get to my, to our complaints here shortly, but I think given what he was uh, given as a script and his dialogue and his scenes and stuff, I think Hugh even came in and did a really good job. You know, sometimes actors aren't given a lot and they manage to make the material better. And I think in this case, that's exactly what happened. I think he made the character better than what he was given on, on page. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like, I think he always says that, like, even if he doesn't try for some, like he just has a way about him that makes that increases everything, makes everything just a little bit better. I mean, his voice alone, just, he only has to change it minutely and it becomes a whole different character and he can just rock it. (laughs) No, I agree. And by the way, to the people that are listening to this, we did not intentionally pick two movies featuring Hugo Weaving uh, in a row. This just happened to turn out that way. I had completely forgotten, as crazy as it sounds, that Hugo Weaving was even in this movie, but I did. Uh, We had finished up V for Vendetta. We were talking afterwards after we recorded, what are we going to do next week? And I said, you know what? We've got Infinity War coming up here very shortly we got like six weeks two months maybe i think no two months and i said we might want to start you know getting out some reviews on superhero movies that we definitely need to get to and that's certainly going to be on our list even after infinity war i think we'll be trying to get some of these older superhero movies uh done on the podcast and i thought let's do captain america first avenger and just I completely forgot until I sat down and watched and started making notes. Oh yeah, that's right. Hugo Weaving is in this movie. He plays the villain. Oddly enough, he played V in V for Vendetta and was uh well, I think more like an anti-hero really. But it just turned out that way. So Yeah, like just as pretty, but one one's a good guy, one's a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I did a really good job. Um Next week, we'll be doing Lord of the Rings. <laughs> we'll keep going with Hugo Weaving. Yeah. Just kidding, guys. <laughs> uh, one of the things I want to talk about was the um, how this movie actually reminded me of an older movie, which was directed by Joe Johnston. Um, when I was a kid, uh, back in the 90s, I know, ancient, um, I know for some kids... I grew up in that era. Well, some like some kids are like 16, 15, 16. They're like, what? The 90s? Man, you guys are ancient. Isn't that back in the Stone Age? Uh, no, not really. Uh, the 90s were awesome, but that's another discussion for another day. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about was a movie that pre- uh, premiered in 1990, and it was called The Rocketeer. It's a movie that I definitely want to review on this podcast at some point in time. Uh, it is, 
itself based on a I believe a comic book called The Rocketeer and it takes place in the more or less the same era. I want to say it, it's the 30s, the late 30s if if I remember correctly, maybe the early 40s. Um and it's about a guy who gets like a rocket pack, like an invention and it's definitely futuristic and he becomes the rocketeer. It's really, really good, by the way. Uh, I really enjoy it. So, anyway, directed by Joe Johnston, and this movie it just feels like an extension of that world. Uh, same kind of era, and there, it even features Nazis and stuff in The Rocketeer. So that's fun. But Even the suit, like I'm looking at right now, it looks like Iron Man, the uh, cover art for it. Yeah, it it does kind of, and uh, but it's really good. It's a good movie, and uh, I really really enjoy it. And Jennifer Connelly is in it actually, very young. Yeah. She's like you don't need to say more. Right now, I know, right? You're just like yes, yes. Let's do this movie. <laughs> uh, she was young. She was like twenty, twenty one, I think, at the time. So she was she was pretty young uh, there. But she just doesn't age. Even now, she looks. As flawless as she ever has. Oh, it's not yeah. fair. Yeah. Uh, I remember having a, a huge crush on her <laughs> in the uh because of the Rocketeer. And I, I can't tell you how many times I watched that movie as a kid. I mean to me that movie was con- it was constantly playing and you know, for people that are pretty young now, that you know, if you're like eighteen years old or younger, uh possibly even twenty years old or younger, it's kind of hard to explain what it was like back in the nineties, especially the early nineties, uh, like TNT would play the same movies all the time, Yeah, you know, for long stretches, like they would play like fried green tomatoes and they would play, um, the rocketeer was another one. And they were like uh, a league of their own was a big staple of, you know, and they did this stuff for a couple of years. You know, they, these movies would be ubiquitous on this channel uh, and so the Rocketeer was there, and it's huge uh, for me. And so I definitely want to watch that at some point. But watching that movie, it feels very much like Captain America. So I don't know if the producers watched the Rocketeer and thought this is the kind of look we want. This is the director we want. He made the Rocketeer. We feel like he could make, you know, a very similar movie uh, with the same tone, the same style. And uh, just happens to be Captain America. And if that's what they were going for, I think they really achieved that here. And I think it's definitely something that is to the the benefit of Joe Johnson. Yeah, definitely. I think he did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll get down to our grades and stuff. But yeah, definitely, I think he did a great job here with that. Um, you know, the action sequences here are really good. Um, one of the things that's really cool is how Early on, Captain America, he has a gun. He has a sidearm, which he pulls out and he uses. But once he gets that shield, the sidearm disappears because he uses that shield essentially as a weapon. It, it more or less becomes a replacement for the gun. Yeah. It might as well be like, I'm sure he can ricochet them back at people. Yeah. Yeah. Except the only... Until Black Panther came out, that is it for vibranium in like the world, right? Yes, I believe that is correct. 
I remember they talked about that, and I'm like, I recognize that from Black Panther. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about young Steve, uh, not young Steve Rogers, the Steve Rogers prior to being infused with the serum and becoming a superhero. Uh, so, the half other person CGI and then Chris Evans' head CGI onto that body. Well, young version. Yeah, well, they did uh, things in a couple different ways. Uh, when it comes to like taking a body double and replacing the head with Steve, they did that with scenes where there wasn't a lot of physical acting going on. So, for instance, if he's laying down on a bed, uh, things like that, like that's when they would they would do that. But then they had like other scenes where they would film Chris Evans, say, talking to Bucky, and they would put a mark on Steve's chin and that was where the actor had to look. Okay. So because they had to look, okay, this is how short the skinny Steve Rogers, the short Steve Rogers is going to be. And so they would film the scene. And then if I remember correctly, they would, they would film the scene like three times, one with Chris Evans, one with the, like a, a body double. And then they would film, I think, another one with just the other actors. And so like about it kind of compositing all these takes and essentially the end result is what you see on screen. So Steve is standing there talking to Bucky, having a conversation and that's how they managed to achieve that. So sometimes it was with a body double and cutting the head off and putting Steve's head or uh, Chris's head on. Uh, And other times it was kind of a, a combination of uh, different techniques to kind of achieve that that look. It's a pretty crazy effect. Yeah. And it doesn't like most of the time you can't tell. Oh, um, it's it's fantastically done. I mean, it's a it's one of the best, uh, if not maybe the best special effect on the entire movie. I think uh, because to make Chris Evans look that small and skinny, I mean, that's not easily achievable. You know, but they literally filmed him and they had to like shrink everything about him. Like they would film him and using, you know, CGI and stuff, they would like shrink his entire body. So they had to shrink uh, like his arms, you know, his chest, everything to kind of make him look super skinny. You know, but obviously this is this is Chris Evans who looks like a superhero filming these scenes and then they just had to find a way to shrink him down and, and do that. So it's uh it's amazing. <laughs> it really is awesome it's a great effect and eight years later almost eight years later since the movie was released it still looks fantastic yeah it looks fine there's some weird cgi in the movie but the one on him is fine yeah um you know one of the things that is really great about the young steve the old i keep saying young steve the skinny steve is that um I like that we get to see the qualities that make him the candidate to be Captain America. Um, so obviously he has the whole interview initially to get in. Like he wants to fight and they won't, they won't let him because of his health conditions, you know, and then he talks to the doctor, uh, and they put him in with all these other recruits, and he ever all these other guys are big and they're burly and you know muscular and create you know the kind of guys you would think would be in the army. And then you see you pan across, and there's suddenly a guy who's way shorter, way skinnier than everybody else. He can't do a pull up. He can't do anything. <laughs> and then 
Tommy Lee Jones, who plays uh, Colonel Chester, throws that grenade. And this is the moment that, that makes him the pick for Captain America, the pick for the guy who's going to have serum inj- injected into him. And hopefully, if it doesn't kill him, maybe become the weapon they use in the war. It's because he jumps on the bomb and he's willing to sacrifice his own life to save all the other guys around him. Everybody else is diving, running, sprinting, all that stuff. He's the one to jump on the grenade. And that's the reason he's picked. And I think that's a brilliant way of showing that. Showing the inherent qualities in Captain America, Steve Rogers always already possesses. It's not because he gets injected with the serum and he's super strong and powerful that um, that's why he is the way he is. It's because he always was this person. He's always going to be the guy who's going to sacrifice himself for the greater good and for the people that he cares about. And I like that they showed that in the movie because it was the point that showed the audience, us, why he was the person to be Captain America in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that they hone in that that's the point. You know, they can make whoever they want to into this kind of super soldier, but that, you know, they hammer in, like it brings out the best in you and the worst in you. So you got to find somebody who has more good qualities than bad. It doesn't matter about their physical attributes. It matters about the person that's inside that person. Yeah. Yeah. And Dr. Erskine, I mean, he, he saw that and he said, that's my guy. Uh, by the way, Stanley Tucci, took the role for this movie. Now, Stanley Tucci is one of my favorite actors. He he's is so good. everywhere and he's um the kind of actor I think who is willing to take all kinds of roles and for, I think for a variety of reasons. And one of the reasons if not the specific reason that he took this role was because it enabled him to use a German accent, which he'd always wanted to do in a movie and up to that point of course he hadn't been able to do it. So I could see them saying, hey, you know, would you like to play in this movie? Would you like to play the doctor? He's a German, sci- uh, German scientist. Uh, well, yeah, he's a German scientist that works for the Americans. And he's like, yes, please, I will take that role and pay me whatever. Um, <laughs> and, and talk about being paid. Chris Evans was paid a paltry $300,000 for this movie. Now, wow. let me just say that I would love somebody to pay me $300,000 for anything. (laughs) But in terms of actors and what they get paid, $300,000 is like somebody paying you (laughs) $10,000. You know, it's like someone's like, okay, uh, I'm going to pay you $10,000 a year to do whatever, you know, and that's not going to work. Sorry. Um, he, He was definitely cheap in this movie. Uh, not cheap anymore. <laughs> After this movie, I think he got a pretty significant pay bump. But uh, you know, you definitely got him because after you take out taxes and probably ten percent to his agent, uh, you know, he's probably getting one hundred and fifty thousand dollars total. Yeah, you know, think about all the work and all you know, the, the the lifting and the exercising and the putting on the weight and and just making himself look like. A superhero, and he's getting oh, yeah. basically he's putting one hundred fifty thousand dollars into his bank account when it's all said and done. Wow! So 
There you I go. hope he gets royalties or something. I'm I'm sure he's he trusts me. His his salary. I don't know what his salary is now, but I'm guessing he's getting in the millions. He's he's got millions. He's probably getting something like ten, twelve million, probably to do Captain America now. So easy. Yeah, he's doing fine. Um. So let's uh let's talk about Bucky. Um, Sebastian Stan plays Bucky in this movie. He starts out as. Uh, just his buddy. He's obviously got all the qualities that Steve wishes he possessed. He's tall. He's handsome. Uh, strong. Strong. Right. And he goes off the war and, and more or less tells uh, Steve to just, you know, stay healthy. Don't die. Wait till I get back. Everything will be fine. That kind of thing. <laughs> and then Steve goes and he, he basically saves Bucky and 400 other guys, you know? Yeah. And Bucky now has to watch all the, all the admirers that he thought he was going to have. Now it's actually Steve that has all the females want him. And it's, it's kind of this weird reversal, you know, watching his character kind of being pushed to the side a little bit. And for the first time in their, in their entire friendship, it, I mean, Let's face it, Bucky's always been, and you could tell from the beginning of the movie, Bucky's always been the one that got everything that Steve never did get. Yeah, very much so. And it seems like, you know, they're still good friends about it. Like, they're very close friends. And neither of them, like, Bucky never flaunted it. And, you know, Steve never complained about it. But uh, now that the roles are reversed, it's very, um, very noticeable. And I'd be like, Take him a thunder, man. <laughs> this wasn't supposed to be like this. Yeah, yeah. You can definitely tell. It it kind of irks him a little, but it's like, whatever. <laughs> he saved my life. How how much can I complain? Um yes. So anyway, let's uh let's talk a, a little bit about uh we have the Tesseract in this movie and it's it's like the big MacGuffin, really, that, that we've got here. And it's obviously got a lot of power. And uh, the scientist that's uh, working with Johann Schmidt, a.k.a. the Red Skull, he's found a way to kind of tap into this power, but he's using machinery and computers and whatnot from 1940s. So like, there's a limit to what they can do. Mm -hmm. But they also find a way to get this thing into uh, the airship, and they're going to use it to basically rain uh, death down upon American cities. Um, so then, you know, we, we see that ultimately is where they go with this movie, and it ultimately leads to, I think the Red Skull dies, he gets burned up by the, the Tesseract because it breaks out of its its case, and the end result is he <laughs> takes this thing and he actually touches it physically, and it burns him up because he, he isn't capable of actually wielding that what ultimately is an infinity stone. Yeah. It's not for your not for you to handle. Not for many mortal men to handle. Right. Uh oh, and I want to say also, you know, Bucky dies in this movie. You gotta use air quotes though. <laughs> yes, I gotta use air quotes. And and I'm I, I wanna okay. So spoiler warning, if you haven't seen the other Captain America movies, um, just spoiler warning. Okay. So 
obviously we know that uh, Bucky does come back. He doesn't die. He almost dies. Uh, I personally think that he would have died, period, uh, from that kind of fall, but whatever. And uh, so he loses his best buddy in, in the coming back from this mission. And, you know, it's unfortunate. But Bucky dies, and it forces, I think, Captain America, it forces Steve to do uh, as much as he can, I think, after his death to kind of make Bucky proud. You know, do yeah. do as much as he can because you know, Bucky's not there anymore. He's died. So now Steve has to go it alone. And... It's tough, but I I appreciate that there were stakes in this movie. Now, obviously, we know that Bucky isn't dead. He becomes the Winter Soldier. Uh, but I appreciated that there were actual stakes in this movie. People died, and that included you know, Steve's best friend. Yeah, and if it had ended on this movie and they didn't make more, that would have been that, and... There would have been a continuation, and so it was meant to have an effect in its time. Right. So uh, let's get to the end of the movie here. So you know they have this airship, and Red Skull is gonna, you know, like I said earlier, rain death down upon American cities and kill everybody. Steve manages to get on the ship. Red Skull dies, and we have essentially a bigger version, right, of the grenade. So, as we talked about earlier, Steve jumps on the grenade because he's willing to sacrifice his life for the greater good and for the people that he cares about and loved ones. And in this case, men that he doesn't even know. You know, all these people around him, he doesn't know these men. You know, they look at him like some some skinny dude. Why are you here? But he's the one to, to jump on this grenade. And we have a bigger version of that here. So, Steve doesn't want to try to land this ship because the weapons are on it. And he's afraid that if he were to do that, maybe they would go off and a lot of people would die. So what does he do? He, he decides to sacrifice himself. You know, he doesn't think he's going to make it out alive. And so he takes this ship and he, 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 you know, tells Peggy goodbye and he crashes it into the Antarctic. So, what did you think of the end of this movie? I thought it was good. Um, I thought the death of Red Skull was anticlimactic. Okay. Um, I can't remember if he ever returns. Um, no. But I kind of wish... No? I wish he would. Because I feel like there's way more cool things you could have done with that character. Um, despite like not liking the makeup, I liked the character. I liked the concept of that kind of a villain. Mm. So, I was... You know, a little bummed that, you know, he just, like, touches the Tesseract and dies. Like, that's kind of like, okay. <laughs> like, no big kind of death scene, no, like, real, you know, final conclusion to that. It's just kind of like it's there, you know? And I guess it's not, like, terrible. Like, I guess it's a fine conclusion, but I just wish there was more to it, you know? Yeah, it's you're right. I think it was a little anticlimactic uh, as well. So, um, Hugo Weaving has gone on record stating that he is uh, indifferent to this movie. 
<laughs> and has very little interest in reprising his role as Red Skull due to the difficulty of the makeup process involved. I think that the makeup process is probably the thing that he hated the most, and I can understand. I don't know many how many hours he had to spend in the makeup chair um, in hair and makeup every morning, but it was probably a lot. And, um, you know, that's fine. You know, it's understandable. Uh, you know, not every actor loves the role they played. They don't love every movie that they've made. Uh, they hope they do, but they'd be lying if they love every single thing they've ever done. I don't think that's the case. He just happens to just kind of more or less shrug his shoulders at this movie. Um, and that's fine. But that's why you'll never see Red Skull again. Not unless Red Skull takes another form, uh, which is a possibility. But Red Skull could potentially come back. But if he ever comes back, it's not going to be because Hugo Weaving is going to play him again. <laughs> so, which is a bummer. Like, yeah. even if you want to like have him, have him in a different form, I still think it should be Hugo Weaving's voice. <laughs> I understand. Well, he would. He'd have to be involved then. I just, I just don't think he wants any part of it. He's like, probably. I would imagine, and it's just my guess, but he's probably like, look, I did my thing. It was all right. Just don't have any interest in doing any more of these movies. It's not up my alley. Yep. It's fine. Fair enough. That's, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. You know, he wants to do other more serious roles and all that. Fine. If making this movie enabled him to make three movies he really wanted to make, he'll definitely, I think, agree that it was worth it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about? When it comes to this movie, so, we'll to the great I guess process. on the negatives, anything you oh, didn't like? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's get down. Yeah, there is some negative. I guess kind of negative stuff that, uh, you know, one of the things I liked Evans in this role. I thought he did a good job, but I think the nature of the character, the nature of Captain America, given his stoicism. It, it kind of like a, like a stiff upper lip kind of thing. And he tries, I think, to humanize and, and make Steve Rogers as relatable as possible. But I think his rigid moral code, it, it's present in this movie, uh, obviously. And that, that's part of who Captain America is. There is a very black and white, right and wrong uh, kind of viewpoint with him. Uh, but I think the character feels a little stiff in this movie and I he does a better job you know in other movies I think he's able to kind of break Captain America out of that a little bit uh, but I think it was a little he was a little stiff at times in this movie but it's not about him as an actor so much as the character and I, I kind of just wish that Captain America would maybe a little more relaxed in this movie but I also understand why he is the way he is and that's ultimately it's fun yeah, I agree. Um, and that's something I've always had an issue with with Steve Rogers in any movie, is that it's he's very uptight and there's that very strong moral code, and there's no deviation from it, not a lot at least. And that's kind of always had my problem with him is that like it just leaves very little room for more of him, growth or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, that that's kind of. Uh, I also had, and we'll get to it, but I, I had problems with the the pacing of this movie. Um, 
there are to me there's there's it's a two hour and four minute movie so it's not a very long yes. movie but the problem is the way in like that they kind of where the breaks are in the acts to this movie so the first act to me took too long i mean by the time he becomes captain america we're already at that midway point of the movie like 40 minutes in at least at least and i think it's longer than that you know because just the just between the opening of the movie all the way up until i think bucky leaves or or no let's, let's go further up until he jumps on that grenade i mean we're probably it we're like half an hour into the movie at that mm-hmm. point so we're like 40 minutes in, I think, around the time he actually becomes Captain America. So by the time he does that, and then he goes through all the propaganda stuff, and then he actually says, screw this, I'm going on an actual mission. I mean, we're about an hour into the movie. Easily, so we're yeah. at the 50% mark. And the problem is, is then whenever we get to the point where there is – when he has like his howling commandos, his team, right? We're we're like treated to a montage. That's what we get, by the way, a montage, and that to me is a bit of a problem. I didn't I didn't like the montage. Mm-hmm. I wish they would have cut that out completely. In fact, what I advise is, if they wanted to stick with the way they kind of portioned out this stuff, uh, you know, the the act and the events and everything leading up to him becoming Captain America, if they felt that was necessary, fine, I understand. They want to build the character of Steve Rogers up. I, I don't have a problem with that. But what I much rather would have seen is him connecting with his men. I want to see conversations. I want to talk about duties. I want them to talk, you know, I want them to talk about the, the price of war. I want... uh Things like that. If they would have had a good ten minutes of him just connecting with his his howling commandos, his his men, I think that would have been better than a montage. Yeah. I, I just I think that we're supposed to believe that he's leading this these men that that will fight for him and do anything you know the best of the best that, that he basically saved, you know, and. I just I felt like the montage was it's um it's a it's a lazy way of, uh, to me of showing a passage of time and of events. You know, we don't have time to show more than this. So we're just going to give you like this montage of the missions that go on and say, "Hey, look, they've been successful." Well, that's brilliant. I don't even know who his men is. Who is yeah, who are the exactly. men? I don't know who they are. They don't mean anything to me. Bucky is the only one. Everyone else is like whatever. And, you know, and spoiler warning, right? But you go to, to Captain America Civil War, not Civil War, um, Winter Soldier, and these men are, are long dead. Yeah. And I, I hate to say it, but I just was like, okay. They 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 it's didn't make that. they didn't make a big impression on me in this movie, which really stinks because like Neil McDonough is in this movie and he plays one of them, and I love him as an actor. I think you know he's a solid character actor, and sorry, just didn't make a big impression on me. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. Like, cut out a good ten to fifteen minutes of Captain America being a dancing monkey and put some like actual 
depth into his comrades that he's chosen to be like you know the people he trusts like we need a little more than that like it just felt really weird yeah it just you know you have these side characters and you know, like I said, I, I liked, you know, Haley Atwell's performance and then you have like Tommy Lee Jones and, and I thought, you know, of course it's Tommy Lee Jones, he's a he's a great actor and I thought he managed to I think he managed to first of all, I think he managed to look interesting. Or not interesting, interested. You know, he wasn't he wasn't uh bored. It didn't look like he was bored in this movie. I thought he actually came in, understood the material and and gave a you know a he gave a good performance for what he was tasked to do. I thought he did a good job. Um, so there are good performances in this movie, I think, from a handful of, of actors. But there's also some side characters like his team who barely get anything. I mean, there's a few scenes, I think, in like a bar or something, if I remember correctly. But But that's it. And there really isn't enough to make us care about these characters. And I think it just has to do with pacing issues and, uh, you know, what they had to do and the plot and what they, what they had to get there to get the, to the, to the plot. It just kind of became a necessity, I'm guessing to cut this material out. And I think that kind of leads to script issues where you, you feel like if they had, I think they tried to stuff too much in this movie. And I think the end result was, there were just certain elements to this movie that just became weaker. You know, there were certain things they didn't have the time to pay attention to. And so they just naturally got less screen time, less than they needed. And I think his team is a prime example of that. Yeah, completely. I very much agree. And um, the thing I hate the most in this movie. Okay. Was Natalie Dormer's character. Okay. Longer. Like the second you introduce uh, a character like two, like an hour and a half into the movie, that's prettier than your main character. That's a girl. You know, that's she's only there for one reason. Like, <laughs> great. They introduced a prettier girl. I guess. I wonder what's going to happen. She's going to be a femme fatale. Oh, yeah, exactly. What happens? Big shock. Like That was so predictable. You could cut that entirely out. and It would make the movie a little bit better. Like there is no need for that. Yeah, no, I I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with that at all. I I understand. I like her. I would have been fine if she'd you know, even taken uh, Carter's role, but it, it, the character itself was just unnecessary. No, I agree. Definitely. Yeah, that was the one thing in this movie that I hated. <laughs> okay. I can live with everything else. That was just like, come on. <laughs> You're better yeah. than this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, so uh, we're going to move on to the grading portion of uh, the podcast. Uh, before we do that, we're going to listen to an ad from our sponsor. And uh, here we go. Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. 
Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. All right, so let's move on here. We have our scripting, our script grade to start out with, and then we'll of course move on to acting and so on and so forth. So starting out with script, the pros and the cons. So Sarah, uh, what are your pros and what are your cons and your grade for this? Scripting, I thought it was a fairly solid script. Um, I mean, they certainly embodied the time era. I had no problems there. Um, it was flowing dialogue. Everyone seemed to be able to handle it quite well. I didn't have too many issues with it, actually. Like, I'd get rid of a few scenes. Like, as I said, Natalie Dormer, get rid of that character. Um, cut down the scene of him like a dancing monkey. <laughs> Like there was just like that went on too long. Uh, it was a little excessive, and yeah, I would have maybe changed up the beginning a bit, maybe a little shorter, gotten to the point a little bit quicker. But other than that, I think it's fairly solid script. I'd give it, um, I'd give that a B plus. Okay. Um, you know, for me, I thought it was you know packed with heart. I think there was a good dialogue overall. Uh, it was infused, I think, with some lighthearted comedy at times, which I thought was was good. Um, you know, it didn't have to be a dark, brooding tale. You know, this isn't didn't have to be the Dark Knight or anything. You know, this was a bit of a lighter effort, which I thought was good. Kind of like you know how Iron Man was funny. I mean, that was obviously mostly due to just Robert Downey Jr. being himself, but I think for this, I think the comedy definitely worked uh but for me i think some of the downsides were as we talked about earlier i think slighted characters that just didn't really have enough screen time to make them effective make them three-dimensional make us care about them at all uh definitely natalie dormer's uh, uh femme fatale wasn't necessary at all definitely could have gotten rid of her uh, and when you talked about the dancing monkey thing being too long, I totally agree. And I forgot to mention that earlier. Um, I wish what they would have done with this movie is approached him with the idea of being a dancing monkey and him basically saying uh, in a nicer way than I'm saying now, screw you, get me out in the field. And uh, right. just kind of presenting him with the option and him just saying, no, put me where I'm useful. Let me go out there and do what you created me to do. And that would have cut off 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes of uh, screen time that we didn't need. They could have used that in a much better way. Yeah, so. exactly. There just was too much. And I didn't like seeing a superhero, you know, basically 
pandering and, you know, being a puppet, essentially. Like, it would just, it felt very weird. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, on one hand, you can understand, like, Steve is going to do what's asked of him. You know, yeah. he's being the good soldier. He's doing what they're asking him to do. He doesn't want to do it. He wants to be out in the field. But I understand why he's doing it. I just didn't like that instead of because it the scenes didn't really to me serve that much of a purpose all it showed essentially is what i just said steve being the good soldier doing what they're asking him to do but just not being happy doing it and um i didn't need that many scenes to get that across they could have done just one two three minutes and let's move on but uh anyway overall i want to give the script a b yeah i think that's fair grade uh, moving on to acting, are there any standout performances uh, for me? Yes. Who are the standout performances? Now, like I said, uh, for mm-hmm. me, I thought Haley Outwell did a really great job in this, uh, which got her a TV show, Peggy, Peggy Carter. Uh, Chris Evans, I thought he did a really good job. And then, you know, Hugo Weaving, just fantastic. So <laughs> um, I thought they were standout performances. I thought they all did a good job. Uh, I thought, like I said, Chris Evans... I think, you know, a little stiff is a character, but his performance, I thought, was really good. I thought he brought a lot of humanity to pre-Captain America, Steve Rogers, and post-Captain America, Steve Rogers. I think there was a, a sense of honor and duty and just a desire to do something good in the world. And uh, there's no doubt that that is definitely the qualities that he you know helped to imbue into the character itself. So I thought the they're really good. Any bad performances? I didn't think there were any bad. Um, there were at least solid performances, but I don't think anybody gave any real like a real stinker. I didn't think there was anybody that brought the movie down because their performance was so bad. So for me personally, uh, it's an A minus. I think for acting. Yeah, I think that's fairly accurate. Um, For any stand-up performances, um, yeah, I certainly think Chris Evans did a good job. I'm far more interested in him in this movie than I am in other movies, like Winter Soldier, Civil War, other Marvel movies, Avengers, what have you. I've always, like, been just kind of like, eh, he's so vanilla, why do I really care? Like, I've never been a Captain America person. Like, he's never been my go-to. But I really did like the character in this film. Um, the jumping off point was great. And I thought Chris Evans did a really good job in, you know, being um, the skinny, cr- uh, scrawny, like, kid that's, you know, just barely having any foot into the world of war or in life itself. I thought he did a great job. And especially the fact that he had to, like, have his head cut off <laughs> and plastered onto some other kid with a scrawny body. But... I thought he did a good job. Um, yeah, and, you know, for the small part he had, I think Richard Armitage, he, does, he was just as good as, like, a bad guy. Like I got really, like, worked up when he grabbed that kid and had, like, a gun to the kid and, like, threw him into the ocean. I'm like, you're being a real dick, you know that? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there's something about his eyes. He can just be really evil with those eyes. And but I liked his character, too, like, and Hugo Weaving, you know, he doesn't, he gets it a lot that he's such a good character and can do so many different things, but it never hurts to say it again. But yes, Hugo Weaving is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
there are no bad performances. I'm just not a big fan of the, you know, the character or the way it was portrayed that Haley did it, but it's not really a big deal. She still did a fine job in acting. I just didn't think it was stellar. Um, Natalie Dormer, like her, couldn't care less that she was in it. <laughs> just hated it. It really stinks because uh, I love I love her as an actress. I think she exactly. She I love it. her. Yeah. It just sucks she got stuck with such a bad role. <laughs> yeah. I I'll give um for acting. Uh, I think an A minus is actually a pretty good fair grade. Okay. I agree with you. All right. Uh, let's move on here to directing. Uh, how good was the directing? Uh, for me, I think Joe Johnston, I think he does a, a more than serviceable job as a director here. I, I think his shot selection, it helped to convey the mood. I mean, you should, if you're a director, you should aid the tone of the script with the shot selection. It should, you know, if yeah. you're looking for something dark, you need to know the shots necessary to kind of show that. If you're looking for a really romantic scene, you need to know how to do that and and that's essential. Otherwise, you're not going to be a director. Uh, you shouldn't be a director. Uh, but I thought he did a really good job with the the scenes necessary to to kind of help shape the mood. Uh, he gets, I think, like I said, some excellent performances out of the cast and takes the material seriously. Uh, that should never be underestimated. And uh, in terms of like a director being able to communicate well with his cast. Because if you don't communicate well, it's going to be really hard to get a really excellent set of performances out of them. And I think he did that in you know this movie. I thought that there was some style to uh, the the film. Uh, not It's not just the period uh, and everything, which I think was obviously essential. But I think there was some nice stylistic uh, shots that he did. Um, some nice... Uh, just some uh there was like there's one shot in this movie where we it's kind of like almost like a close up on captain on on Steve Rogers and he's pulling out his pistol and he's kind of shooting it and just the way he kind of pans across the frame I thought that was really nice uh but he does that a lot in this this movie and I think he just gives the film a nice look and uh, so for me I think I'm going to give him a B plus cuz I thought you know, in the lesser hands of uh, a different director, I don't think this movie would have looked nearly as good. Yeah, I I very much agree. I think they picked the correct director to do this movie. Um, there's a lot of good styles in this, and he obviously took the time to, you know, develop this world and actually like bring it to life. And I think he went in some really good directions, and you can definitely feel touches of his previous work in here um like i can definitely like there's a flare of october sky in in this movie that mm. i quite enjoy nice um I, that's a movie i would love to review one day i love sure. that movie and um yeah i think you did a really good job in directing i have no no problems with any of it not with the directing at least i'll get the guy an a minus okay okay all right, so let's move on to special effects and makeup. Uh, if applicable, how good or bad are the special effects? Uh, you know, for me, I, th I think good overall. I think they're, they're, they're good special effects. Obviously, we talked at length about the Steve Rogers stuff before he became Captain America and how good that is. 
uh, near seamless and it holds up really well. Uh, but there are some shots in this movie that probably weren't particularly great, even at, you know seven years ago. Um, but I mean, overall, I think the special effects have held up well over time. Uh, but there aren't that many shots. I mean, there are a few that don't really work all that well, and the years haven't been kind to them. But overall, I thought that they they did a really great job with what they had to do, and I think that they held up pretty well. Um, in terms of hair and makeup, I thought they did a great job. You know, you taught, you said you didn't like the the red skull and how it looked. Uh, I think that it. I thought it looked good. It took hours to accomplish. I know that. I know Hugo Weaving had to sit in that chair for a long time, but I thought it was worth it for what we saw on screen. For me personally, uh, special effects and makeup get a B plus. I think that's probably fair grade. Um, and there's a lot of good special effects. Um, Chris Evans for one like in certain scenes it kind of looked weird you know the proportional head to the body but most of the time you couldn't tell and that's pretty darn good effect to be able to do even by today's standards like this movie is not it's like seven or eight years old but yeah it's something like even today like wouldn't it would still be very difficult and I thought that was really great um like I said the red skull was just odd for me like I felt it was it was just makeup like I didn't feel there was anything no special effects to it not that everything needs to be like special effects CGI or whatnot but I thought it needed something else but it's not bad by any means um yeah there's definitely certain some dated CGI-ness to some scenes but on a whole I didn't think that you know anything was too dated so I'm with you I give it a B plus okay all right, so uh, let's uh, move on to editing and pacing. So this is gonna be mm. <laughs> this is gonna be be fun one, I think. Yeah. Um. All right, so for me, uh, is the movie well paced? If not, why? Uh, the pacing of this movie, as I said earlier, it's all over the place. I like letting scenes breathe. I've, I'm always one of those people. I'd rather them linger on a scene for a few seconds as opposed to just, okay, dialogue's done. Let's, let's cut it right there. Um, because sometimes that's not necessary, but they do that here. And I like that, but there are problems throughout. Uh, I, as we said before, I think the beginning takes a long time. I think, you know, we talked about how much time it took, you know, till we even get Steve Rogers, the, the superhero, how much time it took for them, him to even get into the war, the whole montage thing of the, the, the you know, quote unquote missions that they go on, uh, barely seeing any interaction with the men post rescue, uh, other than the Bucky. I just think that it, it didn't work for me. And I, and I think the pacing really suffered because of it. Uh, so I got to give the editing and uh, pacing, I think, a B minus. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's probably uh, probably a little more than I would give it. Um, okay. The editing and pacing definitely bothered me. Um, it, the beginning dragged on too much. And then 
the center, the middle portions with him, you know, just being kind of like the government's potsy and, you know, being this show person, just kind of bringing in money for the troops and whatnot. It's just kind of awkward. You don't feel like it should be something a superhero should be doing. And it's just didn't need to happen. Some of the scenes were cool, but seeing it over and over and over and over again, it's like, okay, cut some of those out, man. <laughs> I think it's fine. Um, yeah, and some things at the end, um, like you said, too fast with the men. You know, it's like they just ran out of time and had to speed through it. And yeah, I feel generously if I gave it a B minus, so I'm giving it a C plus. <laughs> okay. All right, um, let's move on to our final thoughts and our final grade. Uh, Sarah, why don't you start here? <clears throat> All right, so final thoughts. I think that this is actually one of my one of my favorite Marvel movies. Actually, like it turns out to be like it's not definitely up in the tops, but I was surprised by how much I liked it. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. And I think it comes down to if there's certain unique elements this movie. Just about the a flair of the way it's directed and plays out and having it be a period piece that it doesn't feel like a comical cartoon like esque like back in these olden times. Like they actually took time and put in effort into making it really feel like you were back in World War Two era. And I appreciate that very much. And the acting was Great, yeah. I don't really have too many complaints. You know, a couple of them, but as a whole, as a whole, you know, actors did a really good job. Chris Evans, especially. I'm not always been a big fan of him, not in most movies, but in this one, I thought he did a really great job. I mean, actually, excelled a bit. Um, yeah, as a whole for this movie, uh, man, I gotta, I gotta give it at least in the A's. I'm giving it an A minus. Okay. Alrighty. Um, well, okay. For me, I can't really disagree with a lot of what you said there. Uh, I think the qualities this movie has are that it it's, it's very well made. I think the set production um, was excellent. I think that the look of the film is, is really great. I love the transformation of skinny Steve to, to, you know, Steve Rogers, <laughs> Captain America that we know. I love a lot of what this movie has to offer, but I think there are certain things that hold it back. The like, And we talked about length about the editing and pacing. Those things really bring this movie down for me. Um, I, to me, it's a solid movie. It's really, really good in certain specific areas, and it really is not in very specific areas. And they they really pull down the grade for me. I can't really get around that. I think the script is solid without being great. I think the editing and pacing is is poor. Uh, uh, the pacing specifically really could have been... What? The editing in the pacing, it really brought this movie down. And so I, I can't give it more than, honestly, I'm giving it a B. I can't believe it. I'm giving it a B. Um, but it's true. For me, I think that that is what really brings the script. 
is okay, but the the editing really it makes it it suffers because of the editing. Yeah, I I can't knock you for that. I mean, the editing is quite. It takes away from a lot of the good that was brought into this. Yeah, yeah. So, well, anyway, that is that's it. That's my grade. You're giving it a minus, and I'm giving it a a B. I like the movie. It's one of those movies. If it's on TV and I happen to be flipping through the channels, I'll probably watch it. If I'm I'm not busy and I don't have things to do. I'll sit and I'll watch it and I enjoy it, you know, for, for what it is and setting up the whole character. But every time I watch it, I'm conscious of the things that really could have been done better. Had they made some alterations to the script, cut out some things, come out some of the weaker elements of the movie and of the script and beefed up some of the things that needed to be beefed up. I think this could have been, one of the best. I mean, you know, definitely top 10 uh, easily, but it, it's not. To me, it's middle of the pack. I think, on, and this is just me, I think the Captain America movies have gotten better. I think Winter Soldier is, is a much better movie than this is, and I think Civil War is also a much better movie than this is. Uh, and those are ones that we'll definitely be reviewing at some point. As well. So be prepared. It's coming down the pipeline, guys. Yes, it is. All right. That's it for this episode. Uh, so, you know, we'll see you guys next time on the podcast. And uh, next week we'll be doing Ready Player One. Yes. Looking forward to it. Yeah, All right. very much. <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a good week. We'll see you later. Bye, geeks. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. Now, if you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to FreakingGeeksMedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanage. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at LabyrinthRose or at FreakGeeks. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. Now, if you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to FreakingGeeksMedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanich. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at LabyrinthRose or at FreakGeeks.